Welcome to the Life Unlimited Podcast with Larry Heller. You deserve complete financial advice so you can confidently live your life your way for life. Now, let's get into this week's podcast episode. Hello and welcome to another Life Unlimited podcast with your host, Larry Heller. Today, we are talking about decoding private credit, insights on the rising popularity of this investment with Alona Gornick. Now, real quick, a little bit about Alona. She's the managing director and co-head of the Chicago office at Churchill Asset Management. She's got 14 years of experience in investment capital markets and investor relations. She provides key investment insights across the private capital spectrum with a focus on private wealth and retail channels. Now, before she uh, was at Churchill in 2017, listen, she has been at a lot of very high-profile places, Nuveen, Golden Gate Capital, and Oak Tree Capital Management. And she also started her career in investment banking uh, at at Bank of America Security. So with that, Larry, take it away. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Lona. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to give our audience a little bit more knowledge on private credit. So Lona, why don't we jump jump right into this? And what is private credit for those of you that don't know? Sure. Larry, thanks so much for having me for sure on this show. Let's talk about private credit. So what is it? Let's just at least tackle the fact that it has seen tremendous growth over the last 15 years, and I'd say even more of an accelerated spotlight in the last 15 months. It's now approaching about a trillion and a half dollars in assets under management, certainly a a core asset class, if you will, if you think about the high yield market being at over a trillion and the leveraged loan market being at over a trillion itself. So certainly competing with those two big asset classes, we're all very, very familiar with. Think industry veterans here have expectations for this asset class for private credit to double in five years, maybe even triple in 10. So certainly a lot of positive momentum and expectation for the asset class. But what is it? I'd say private credit altogether. It's very enormous and it's very diverse. It encompasses a lot of sub-segments within it. Direct lending, certainly one of the largest and most active and fastest growing components of private credit. But inside of private credit, You also have mezzanine finance, you have distressed, you have special situations, you have asset-based lending, equipment finance, venture debt, real estate debt. So there's all sorts of sub-segments within private credit that make it really interesting and unique. But ultimately, we do see various forms of collateral across all of these sub-segments. You also see that um, they can be secured or unsecured components of them. So very, very different, very diverse. And Typically, what you have are borrowers who are too small to access the public credit markets. So that's what's really happening here. Or you do have some larger borrowers who've in fact now preferred the private credit market because of unique aspects like customization, flexibility, and scale that we can get into later as far as why is there now this sort of shift or interest to kind of come to this market. But if you just zero in on direct lending, because it is an area of expertise for Churchill and one that is the biggest and largest segment, I'd say direct lending at its core reflects more of, in its core, a, a financial obligation that is privately and directly negotiated between a borrower and a lender or a group of lenders. So yeah. there's no readily available secondary market for it. And it typically attracts that buy and hold investor mentality. 
Okay, so let, I want to even take this down even a little bit more basic for those for those out there because I think most people out there know what cash is, they know what stocks are, they have a, some idea about bonds, but private credit is is kind of new, so to, n- new to them. So first of all, kind of the, the word private, and then the word credit in there. So can we even just even just take a step back and explain the really the basic of what somebody would be doing if they would be wanting to invest in private credit? Sure. So as someone interested in investing in private credit, what you're essentially doing is looking for a manager, right, who has access to private credit opportunities or deals, right? And a deal here is really that financial obligation where there is a borrower and a lender. And the manager that you're looking to invest with will be on that lender side, right? Will be providing capital, in essence, a loan, a private loan to a borrower where there's a contractual obligation to be paid back both your loan, your principal, and then interest along the way. So what's really unique about private credit is that you actually have a current income generation sort of investment opportunity here when you are sitting in the seat of that lender. But here in this case, as an investor looking to invest in private credit, you're going to kind of fall into the camp of that lender or a manager who is lending to that borrower. Right. So there are these companies out there that instead of going to a bank, are going to a pool of private investment. And this is where investors can contribute money. And then that money then would be deployed to these companies instead of them going to a bank, correct? Is that a basic way of kind of looking at it? Absolutely. So these companies, as we said just earlier, are typically a little too small to get the attention of a big traditional bank, corporate bank, but they're actually solidly generating profits, right? They've got really steady, you know, operating results, and they generate enough free cash flow to be an attractive investment opportunity for a direct or private lender to lend them that loan different from a bank. So they certainly have all of the attributes that you're looking for as a lender to a high quality borrower, but they just happen to be too small. But they can be typically longstanding businesses around for generations, decades, just happen to be family owned and operated, or very commonly what we see in our space is private equity backed, right? So private equity is interested in buying these small middle market or mid-sized businesses and looking to private credit to help finance their purchase of that business. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the advantages of kind of working with private credit manager as a, as a borrower. Like why, why would somebody want to invest in private credit? So I'd say private credit's got a few very unique attributes. Number one, you really can customize your loan here versus what you'll typically see at a traditional bank that has to think about selling that loan in a traditional bank context to a broader market of public credit investors, right? So when you're doing something on the private side, you really can customize the tenor of the loan. You can really think about sizing and covenants and baskets and everything around that loan to the borrower in a unique way for that borrower's business needs. And also its growth plans to the extent that it actually wants to pursue a very acquisitive growth strategy, you can build in features and functionality to do that. I'd say second, you do tend to see longer maturity profiles available in private credit than what are 
typically standard, shorter maturity profiles in traditional banking. So that's another area of flexibility. And then third, I'd say there's a really unique aspect of what I'll call delayed draw term loans. So you can pay for a commitment today as far as a smaller fee, but draw it over time for a set period of time. You don't really typically see that in the traditional banking world with big public credit. Um, so that's a very nice feature that a lot of these growth oriented small mid-sized businesses are looking to do when they want to buy other businesses, grow inorganically, and have the assistance of debt financing to do that. So that delayed drop term loan feature is there. And then finally, I'd say speed, efficiency, sort of this really certainty around execution, where you can actually get your deal done in the private credit space without concern about a window being open in the public credit market, right? Is the timing right? Is there headline risk happening out there? Will that window shut that I have to pull my deal down? That is not the case in private credit. You certainly have very big private credit managers nowadays, scaled, willing and able to do the entirety of a financing and take a lot of the execution risk off the table. So if you can get that speed, certainty and execution, plus customization, plus flexibility, plus longer maturity profiles, I think it really serves to be a very, very attractive alternative to traditional lending. Yeah. So let, let's talk about, you mentioned the word risk a few times. So, you know, what is the risk in these private credit people maybe sitting out there while lending money to a private mid-sized company? So what are the risks in, in, involved uh, and why would somebody want to do this? Certainly. Well, with any investment, you're going to take some risk, right? And what you try to do with direct lending, private credit and direct lending in particular, is really mitigate as much of that risk as possible. But to the extent your question is, what risks do we typically try to identify and navigate around? There certainly will be risk that the borrower is not able to pay you back your loan, right? And when when does that situation occur? That would be if the borrower were to have a massive reduction in its revenue or a massive increase in expenses such that its profitability is deteriorating, weakened, it collapses, and it can no longer generate free cash flow to then pay back the interest on the loan and the loan itself. That's a risk that any direct lender takes. So what do I mean by navigating that risk? What it comes down to is really just hardcore underwriting, right? Really understanding what is this borrower's business model? You know, what is its competitive landscape? How resilient is it through good and bad times? Did it get through um, the COVID pandemic era on the positive side out of that? What did it change about its business model? How how resilient is it through inflationary pressure as we're seeing today? And certainly interest costs that are much higher today than they were before. So these are all risks that you have to really look for and navigate around. And when I say navigate, what you really want to do is you have to ask the questions, You have to do your due diligence. You have to understand how does this business and its management team really own and control these risks and what's the right and appropriate level of balance sheet and debt financing that you would put on it. So really wanting to put the right type of capital structure in place so that it isn't excessively aggressive. Right. And you talk about managing, first of all, 
you know, if, if you're investing in private credit, you're not investing in one or two, making one or two loans. This is a pool of hundreds of different types of of loans out there, and then you're hiring a firm to make sure and to minimize the mitigate the risk by making the right selections of the loan. So, why don't we just kind of pair back and talk a little bit about Churchill and why Churchill and how does Churchill get involved in ways of mitigating mitigating the risk? So from a portfolio perspective, you're absolutely right. I'd say a hallmark for Churchill would be extreme diversification. So as I said at the outset, with private credit, there isn't a readily available secondary market. So we are buy and hold investors. We're relationship lenders. We're really thinking about investing through a cycle. We know things can go wrong. So what do we do to mitigate that risk? We try to develop as diverse of a portfolio of investments as we can, right? So with Churchill... Who are we today? We're a $47 billion senior lending, junior lending, and private equity co-investment platform. So altogether, a private capital platform where we have a dedicated focus to the core U.S. middle market in terms of the, the borrowers or the companies that we're lending to. And we do this by working with private equity firms 100% to work through financing opportunities where we can be their partner. So it's essentially what, what Churchill's doing. And when we think about mitigating risk across our platform of investment strategies, we are trying to build as much of a deal funnel as possible. So that means really seeing the market of private credit deal opportunities, sourcing as many high quality opportunities as we can through our private equity sponsor relationships, and then narrowing down to the best of the best, right? Just the companies that we think have solid operating history, will be able to withstand cycles, and then putting in the best and most conservative structures, very disciplined for what we see as the appropriate type of balance sheet for these businesses today. So I'd say from a standpoint of the types of loans we're doing, consistently conservative, very disciplined, very tight in terms of pass rates. So we are sourcing about a thousand deals a year. Certainly have to see a lot to get through all of that. And then closing on just 5 to 6% of those. So really tight, high bar for us in terms of what we'll actually transact on. But still at the same time, have a very massive portfolio of highly diverse borrowers, not only in the position size that we take, which is one half of 1% is our average position size. So highly diverse in terms of number of positions, but also the industries, right? Very diverse in terms of industry exposure. I'd say our top three would be business services, healthcare services, and then tech, tech enabled. So very asset light, low capital intensity, high free cash flow generators. And you mentioned Churchill. A lot of people may not have heard of Churchill, but when you tell them, tell our audience who the parent company is of Churchill, they may have heard of them. Sure. So Churchill itself was founded in 2006, and then we were acquired in 2015 by TIAA through its investment arm, which uh, is referred to as Nuveen. It's a trillion dollar investment management business. So we sit as TIAA's dedicated private capital platform. They could have picked any manager to manage private capital for them and they picked Churchill. So we take that very importantly as far as when we think about investment philosophy and we invest on behalf of TIA, which is one of the largest global debt investors focused on, on private debt. So we're doing that on their behalf and they are our largest client today of our 47 billion. They represent about half of that. And they are year in, year out, 
uh, putting in about four to five billion dollars towards uh, Churchill's investment strategies. So certainly a fantastic alignment of interest when it comes to sourcing deal flow for an institution of that caliber and then allocating that same institutional quality deal to our third party investors, which we invest on behalf of. So everyone's on the same footing. Right. So, you know, some of this private credit, I guess, might have, a lot of it might have started way back when, you know, in 2008, when the banks had a little bit more restrictions to us. So why don't you kind of explain and tell us how is the role of banks evolving these days? So 2008, you're absolutely right. We did see a massive pullback on the traditional banking system in terms of providing these middle market type loans and really paved the way for direct lenders like a Churchill to kind of create new opportunity to be that replacement capital, if you will. So you saw this really huge surge from 2009 to today, I'd say on an annual basis, average growth at 14% in private credit alone, certainly really seeing that replacement capital take hold, plus a really big push in a search for yield when what used to be a very low rate environment, zero to to one percent, so a lot of investor interest in finding that premium for private credit or illiquidity premium, and then certainly borrowers who are looking for that flexibility and customization that we talked about earlier. So those three combined together really pushed a lot of growth to what we've seen over the last fifteen years to now this one and a half trillion dollar you know asset asset class. But what's happening today? So now we've actually seen you know earlier this year. A lot of turbulence in the traditional banking sector, maybe more so now in that regional smaller banking space, a bit of a repeat in terms of capital retrenchment, more capital constraint, and a lot more uh, judicious sort of lending as far as what these regional smaller banks are willing to do for many mid-sized companies. So it's really creating a lot more opportunity for non-bank lenders to step in once again and really pave the way for more of a market share take if you will, of direct lending from the syndicated loan market. I'd say second with banks, what they have also been doing is kind of moving into a different role with getting that private credit exposure. Previously, when they were arranging these loans and selling them out, since they're doing less of that right now, they found ways to be a bit more involved from a fund finance perspective. So if they want to get exposure to private equity and private credit, they may now have moved into ways where they can lend to an actual private credit fund and get the exposure that way or provide NAV level financing. So those are different ways that they're getting involved, but certainly not as as involved as they were before. I'd say this market share take is now looking like about approaching 85% of the syndicated loan market has now moved into direct lending versus the syndicated loan market for LBOs, leveraged buyouts. So certainly a huge part of the market is now being done. Private credit is being done in direct lending. And, so, and speaking of the market, I mean, kind of the, the buzzword these days is, you know, is private credit or, uh, you know, are we in the golden age of, you know, private credit and kind of what is driving that? And, you know, do you agree or disagree or is there so much money coming into private credit this day? Should we be worried or a new investor be worried that there's not going to be enough opportunities? Why don't you elaborate a little bit on that? Sure. There's definitely been a lot of talk about the golden age or this golden moment. And I'd say this may be one of the most attractive investment environments we've seen in recent history for private credit. But 
I'd say it's because of a combination of a few things that are all happening at the same time, which we haven't really seen before. So number one, that's higher yields, right? Number two, higher quality businesses. Anything transacting A certainly has to prove that higher quality. And number three, better protections for investors, really reflecting a an investor or a lender-friendly market versus what had been a borrower-friendly market for more than a decade. And number four, really better structural tailwinds. As we talked about the role of banks sort of leaving the space. So the combination of those four things happening all at once is really interesting for private credit, where you're now seeing yields at almost 12% for senior secured, top of the capital structure, first in line of repayment loans, which is compared to what used to be six to 7% just a year and a half ago. So we're now basically nearly double in terms of a yield perspective of what we're seeing in the asset class. But when you combine that with higher quality businesses, I mean, you're not saying higher yield with higher risk necessarily in the underlying business risk, right? The only types of deals that are getting done today are those businesses that can prove out operating resilience, recession resilience, the ability to pass through price increases, you know, given the environment we've been in. So they have to be A plus assets to transact in this environment. And certainly because of the broader capital scarcity we've got, lenders are now pursuing much better protections for their investors, right? We want very conservative balance sheets. We want very low leverage. We want a lot of equity contribution and cushion in these businesses. So yes, I think it's a really unique and compelling time right now. It's been probably only the third time we've seen private credit in double digit yield arena. It isn't necessarily an asset class that lives in this space. So certainly is there, but could this be sustained a little bit longer than the last two times we saw the double digit yield arena, perhaps we may be in that higher for longer environment. But to your question about crowding, you know, is it, have I missed the opportunity? I'd say for that, two things. Number one, the middle market, these businesses that are coming and pursuing private credit loans, it's enormous. There are over 200,000 businesses considered middle market, you know, private businesses. That compares to public companies, there's maybe four or 5,000 of them, right? So think about the number of businesses out there that at any point in time, if they were bought by a private equity firm that would then use private credit to assist that buyout, that's a deal, right? Guess how many of those 200,000 businesses are private equity owned today? Mm, 10%. You're close. 5%. Only 5% of 200,000 businesses have private equity backing. That's enormous white space, right? for private credit who's sitting on a bunch of dry powder right now to buy, right? To continue buying these businesses. And every dollar they put to work means a dollar of private debt that can be put to work. So all in all, I'm trying to tell you is that, you know, private credit has an enormous backdrop of the middle market, which I think is vast. So to the extent more market entrants come in, right? Everyone's excited about these yields, these higher quality companies, better protections, I still think there's phenomenal supply of deal flow out there. It's just a matter of unlocking those deals, right? Right. It's just a matter of seeing private equity get back in the game and start pursuing those deals. Yeah. I do want to just address that we're we're 
uh, recording this podcast the end of November. So those rates of returns are current, you know, current yields are not guaranteed. And each deal is, is, is different. And if anybody will talk about it at the end of the podcast, but if anyone wants to get full description and full perspectives on any of the, the deals through, through Churchill, they can reach out, they can reach out to us. So Alana, before we continue, we're going to take a little bit break from our podcast for a special offer for our listeners. Hello, Life Unlimited listeners. We have some valuable information to share with you today. At Hello Wealth Management, we're all about helping you achieve financial resilience. And we've got an insightful offer for you. You've likely heard about financial resilience, the ability to navigate life's challenges. But have you considered financial resilience? How well prepared are your finances for life's unexpected turns or fluctuations of the markets? Our team of certified financial planners specializes in financial resilience and has created a unique tool called the Financial Resilience Assessment. It's designed to assess your financial readiness and preparedness. Have you ever wondered how financially secure you'd be in the face of a significant life change, such as retirement, the loss of a loved one, or divorce? As a dedicated Life Unlimited podcast listener, you can schedule your free financial resilience assessment without any obligation. Take advantage of this opportunity to gain valuable insights into your financial well-being. To request your assessment, simply click the link in the podcast description. And now back to our podcast. So as we kind of, you know, you know, talk about some of the success, you know, and we, um, we talked about actually selecting the, the deals or making sure that you, so you're minimizing the risk, but, you know, how does kind of managers further differentiate themselves and, you know, create value between one private credit manager and another private credit manager? I'd say rigorous underwriting, strong portfolio management, really you know, impeccable track records. Those are all table stakes, right? You have to have those three to even be considered a private credit portfolio of, of your portfolio. So I think that's essential for every manager to, to show that if you're you're being considered. But what I think about when in terms of real differentiation, really adding value, you've got to think about what is a manager really doing for me as an investor that's different from the other managers I just heard about. And one thing that comes to mind that I think is an area of potential differentiation is how does that manager source its deal flow, right? Because at the end of the day, since we're all buy and hold investors, I say deal flow drives performance, right? If you don't have that deal flow at origination, right, you can't source that deal. You're not involved in that dialogue in the beginning. There's no way for you to build a position in the secondary market to get there. That deal's done and it's done without you. So do you as a manager have a unique sourcing strategy or an advantage or a model that's different from everybody else? I think that's a really interesting area of opportunity to add value as a manager. So it's about, it's about advisors asking those questions, right? Really, how do you differentiate yourself? Because if you don't have a unique sourcing strategy and you're sort of just doing any deal that walks in the door, I don't care if you have fantastic underwriting, right? Fantastic structuring, really great portfolio management. You're really only going to be able to do the deals that you have access to. And at that point in time, if you don't have access to a lot of deals, you may be inclined to do that deal that came in the door. You don't have hmm. the ability to be selective. I think really creating that top of the funnel and generating as much deal flow as possible so you can stay disciplined and pick that best of the best 
will really prove out ultimately uh, true performance for managers. Right. You know, and a lot of investors, you know, just learning really about private credit because historically only institutions were able to allocate money to private, you know, private credit. So, you know, that's changed. So how are individual investors able to access private credit opportunities today? And you know, how is that going to affect the industry? So finally, we've got private credit far more accessible than ever before to this wealth community through a variety of innovative new products. The initial growth, as you had just mentioned, had really been made up of institutional investors, right? They could meet the higher minimums and they were comfortable with very long lockup periods. So what's happened now is private credit managers have since evolved to create new fund structures to reach a wider audience, right? We've got feeder funds, registered funds, interval funds, business development companies or BDCs to name a few. And specifically with regards to BDCs, these are investment vehicles that provide capital to growing private companies. They're really designed to provide retail investors access to institutional quality private investment products. So really, really great in terms of fitting private credit as far as an investment strategy into these BDCs. There are many flavors of BDCs. There are publicly traded BDCs out there that you can gain access to. There are private to public BDCs, so they're going to be in transition. And then there are these perpetually non-traded BDCs, so there will never be that public component, but they offer liquidity in very different ways. But altogether, what these fund structures that have offered are very low minimums, you know, really flexible liquidity features, simplified tax reporting, far more simple than institutional funds. So really trying to make that accessibility available to individual investors. I'd say finally on VDCs, these are yield-oriented vehicles. They're typically required to distribute 90 to 98% of their profits. So really well-suited for that private credit investment where we are generating steady interest income from those loans that we make and a diversified portfolio of those loans. So The BDC landscape has certainly exploded over the last two years. I think there's, call it, 20 or more in registration process right now. So certainly a big area for added access to the private credit universe for individual investors today. Great. Alana, this has been this has been great. I know our audience has learned a lot about private credit. And any final words you'd like to mention today? Sure. Well, certainly really thankful. For the opportunity to chat through one of my favorite topics, private credit. I think it certainly is experiencing quite a golden moment, but sometimes when we talk about golden moments or a golden age, it can feel like it may end. But I do think there are some really interesting structural tailwinds, as we talked about earlier, that would suggest that there is significant and sustainable demand for this asset class to continue growing. I'd love for folks to get involved, get more exposure and really diversify their portfolios with private credit. And certainly with Churchill, to the extent we can be helpful, we'd be happy to. Yeah. Anyone who wants some more information and wants to talk to me about private credit, you can reach out to me at hellowealthmanagement.com and just select a uh, 20-minute call with me or just call the office at 631-248-3600. 
lot of great information there. And one of the weirdest things about the Life Unlimited podcast is that we are trying to consistently bring you great ideas and new ideas that you might not normally be exposed to. And Alona did a great job with that today, talking about decoding private credit. Listen, uh, if you have not liked and subscribed to the show, please make sure that you do that. And if you know somebody who's looking for another way to go ahead and invest their money, please make sure that you share this podcast with them and make sure that they reach out to Larry at Heller Wealth Management. So for Larry and Alona, this is Matt Hallern, and we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon.